Hello, welcome everybody to the Caregivers Care Jar podcast. I am your host, Vaughn the Voice Brander, and I am here with my amazing co-host and good longtime friend, Miss Christy. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and uh, we are glad that you joined us today on this episode. I believe this is episode 16. 16 or 17, one of those, it doesn't, who's counting? Anyway, we got some good, this is going to be really special and super unique. Um, our special guest is Ms. Mrs. Caitlin Johnson. And um, um, it's wonderful because she is actually my um, executive assistant as well and, and helps with, helps me be all that I am on both all my different businesses, Bomb for Jazz and Audio Newborns, and now with this podcast. And so she's joining us today. And but she has a story. She's a caregiver of her own, and uh, has a story to share. And um, it's just going to be great. It's going to be great. So we're going to jump right on into it. Um, as you know, that with the podcast, we always say every week. If you're listening to this for the first time, uh, please subscribe to this podcast, whether you are on iTunes or on Stitcher or now Spotify, we are on in a Google Podcasts as well. So please uh, subscribe. Let us know that you're out there. If you're watching this on Facebook Live or Facebook, not Facebook Live, but Facebook, just comment below with any questions that you have. Um, let us know where you're listening from. And um, also we'll soon be on YouTube as well. Uh, so just give us a shout out and let us know where you're coming from and what is going on and how we may be able to serve you um, across the board. Um, but with no further ado, um, you know what I don't I didn't what I didn't get is like a formal uh, introduction sheet for you. <laughs> but uh, I guess I know her and I guess it summed it up with um, for Caitlin and she is. Um, uh, a mother of two. Uh, she's, I forgot how, you guys, tell us how long, how long have you been married? Tell us about yourself. <laughs> so I'm Caitlin. Hey, everybody. Um, let's see. I have been with my husband for 10 years. I have two beautiful kids. I have a seven-year-old daughter and a one and a half-year-old son. Um, let's see. I and Bond's executive assistant, which is amazing because I get to work at home and raise my children and which gives me the beautiful opportunity of being able to take care of my mom as well. Like you mentioned, I, I caregive for her also. So I have quite the dynamic life with my hands in lots of different cookie jars all the time. Um, I have a professional background in medical and caregiving prior to working from home. And uh, other than that, I, I pretty much just caregive for a lot of different people. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, tell us a little bit. I know when we first met and um, we met, I think, back in July or is it the end of June, end of July? Mm -hmm. And um, at some point you mentioned how you were doing caregiving professionally. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So... The I was a stay-at-home mom for my daughter for right around three years, and then uh, it became clear that I was not enough socialization for her, and she needed to go into some kind of daycare-type setting where she had other little kids to play with, 
And so when I was first shopping for jobs, I had no idea what I wanted to go back into. Uh, I tried so many different industries. I have a hairdressing license. I have a life insurance license. I have, I mean, I've tried a very broad spectrum and I actually found a posting for a caregiving position that was part-time. It was local. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to have a little bit of a flexible schedule and kind of pick what I wanted to do. Um, I went in, I interviewed, I met the client and come to find out later it was one of their uh, more difficult clients, but she took to me right away. And so it started with a very part-time four hours a day, couple days a week, um, just going in and doing the basics, grocery shopping and meal prep and laundry and, um, you know, really just befriending my client in the beginning. Um, and then from there, it became medications and I became doctor's appointments and some of the more technical parts of caregiving, the financial, the um, you know, just the, the whole broad aspect of, of being involved in someone's life. And the company that I worked for specifically worked with high functioning adults that had disabilities. So they could live alone, but they needed some assistance with paying bills and refilling prescriptions and, you know, doctor's appointments and specialists and things like that. Um, it went from one client to two clients to four clients to full time. Mm -hmm. And then from that full time position, I actually moved into a where I was caregiving full time, but I was also working as an administrator in the office overseeing lots of different caregivers with lots of different clients just to make sure that the clients were being served in the way that they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for probably about two years. Um, and then I really, at that point, I just needed to make more income. And unfortunately, that company couldn't serve me in that regard and was hired by my main client's primary doctor. And then I worked in her customer service and I was on the medical or the medical side of caregiving. So working for the doctor and calling in meds and doing patient mm -hmm. care from that end, which gave me a really interesting perspective because at that point now I had seen full circle what it takes and all these various people that are involved in the changing of hands. And um, so that really, that led me kind of to where I am with professional experience because I actually left the doctor's position to work for you. <laughs> right. Interesting. So with the, so you worked all sides of the, the caregiving professionally, like at, at a facility and um, on some of the uh, earlier episodes, uh, Chrissy and I were bringing up and we talk about it with a lot of the um, interviewees is the um, becoming a caregiver and then actually having to be an advocate or to um, like when my mom was at a facility it was every day having to put things on the wall to say, no, she can't, you know, she can't go to the bathroom by herself. She won't read or always educating, a, um, uh, you know, one of the, uh, I think they're called CTAs and, um, or the nurses and, or CNAs. And um, um, how was it 
I, I could just imagine the challenge um, and would share like the challenge of wanting to give care to the seniors and, and your every facility is different. So I don't know what the load was, but what's the challenge that you had with wanting to give the best care, but at the same time having to be under, you know, administrative constraints, whether scheduling, resources, finances, all of that stuff. So ours was a little unique because it was actually an apartment complex that was for elderly and disabled. So we weren't technically a care facility, but probably about 85% of the people that lived there had some sort of care. Um, like I mentioned, mine was a private company that dealt with adults with mental disabilities, but they were high functioning. Um, but a lot of the other ones were physical disabilities who worked with companies like IHSS um, or other, you know, support services through their insurance. Um, what made mine kind of challenging and unique was I saw my boss maybe once every six months. I never saw her. Uh, everything was done on the phone. The mm. other interesting part was every client had a different infrastructure of family. So there were various levels of involvement. I had clients that had no family. So the only thing I had to go on was what they wanted and what administration, you know, kind of black and whited. And then of course, what the state guidelines required we do. Um, because ours was about training and teaching the client to do these essential functions for themselves. So instead of coming in and just paying their bills, I had to sit down and go over the budget with the individual clients. I had to go over the medications. Mm -hmm. Everything was about teaching them to be independent. Um, but then I had like my main client, uh, the only family she had was an aunt in Arkansas. And I got to know this woman very well via very long-winded conversations because she had quite the Southern draw and, <laughs> it, you know, um, but she had her own set of expectations. And there were times where what the aunt wanted me to do and what my boss wanted me to do and what the government said I was supposed to do were all three different things. Hmm. And I got to take little pieces of each thing and kind of, you know, create the best middle medium that I could. Um, and I know there were several times where I would get very upset phone calls from the aunt because I followed my boss's instructions. And I had to very politely say, I understand that you're the family and you want to make decisions and you want to be involved, but she signs my checks. So there's a, there's a balance of power in, in that. Um, and then I, I had one experience where I had never worked with this particular client that was in the building. I knew he was in our program. I had spoken with him. I talked with him. We were friends, but I'd never worked, worked for him. Uh, and I got a phone call from my boss that said, clock out on your timesheet, grab a wheelchair, go to his room, take him to the urgent care. He broke his ankle. And this was a client who took a very long time to bond to people. He was really a shutdown shell. I had never met his family. His family was actually on vacation when it happened. Wow. Uh, he had parents that were incredibly involved in his life. So now I'm having to 
sit at the urgent care and deal with his insurance and speak to the family and introduce themselves to the fam myself to the family and um so it it kind of depended on day to day what mood the client was in and what mood the family was in and mm. you know what needed to get done and what could we what could we kind of pass on because my my main client hated doctors hated meds hated anything and everything to do with medical she would i mean i'm talking full blown kick scream yell it was horrible and yet you know her her aunt requested that we do every testing possible every you know doctor's appointment possible every specialist and so that definitely threw a wrench into my relationship with her because mm. uh, it it posed some very interesting challenges to me being physically the one having to put my client into the car and take her and an aunt right. from our saying you need to just do it wow. right because patients have the right to refuse they do and yeah. you know, yeah. and they're being told as if they're children and she's 65 years old saying no i don't want to you know go have a whatever test done you can think of you know and her aunt saying you have to and my boss is saying you have to and the government saying you should but you don't have to and so it yeah. just created this it put a lot of pressure on me to make decisions that advocated for both that was right really yeah creating the win-win is always a challenge yeah there were many times that i just had to say sorry somebody lost you know because there just was not always that happy medium hmm. yeah and in 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 the in caregiving for on the professional level where you have all of those um behind the scenes things like you said that your interaction with so whether your family that's distant like the aunt uh she wants something but she's not there and everything's over the phone and but at the same time now did she have like any power of attorney or she was just basic not just but she was a, just a family member that was the involved one she had power of attorney but mm. the difference is there's two types of ways to write financial power of attorney and there's two types of ways to write um medical power of attorney right. so the aunt had power of attorney if she was to become uh you know end up in a coma or pass away basically um as far as medical was concerned she didn't have power of attorney to make medical decisions although because she had power of attorney she really confused that gray line a lot right. and we had to explain to her over and over again where she had financial power of attorney at um at the moment and she was able to exercise financial power of attorney but that became super complicated being that she was in arkansas right so, right you know she would monitor the budget and she would call me about bills or purchases and she had the right to do all of that but she felt she had the right to do the medical and that is not how the the actual legal documentation was written so that mm -hmm. created a a bit of a sticky situation sometimes right very very important to know and then for our, our listening audience for those that are just becoming caregivers and either you have or you have not done that step yet i remember that was very um christy had helped me very instrumentally yeah. of like okay this is what you need to have um, you need to have the, you know, the durable uh, power of attorney 
and then make sure that you got the medical power of attorney. So we had to, right. my brother and I had to fill out both. Um, and actually and I had wording. to fill out, yeah, the wording to make sure, you know, I got the power of attorney for myself and then my brother was like a second. Mm -hmm. um, so I was the Yeah, because in the event something happens to you, then what? Right, yeah. you gotta have that in writing as well. Gotta have yeah. that. And that's the process I'm going through with my mom currently is we just had the conversation about how this is going to happen and what she's actually comfortable with. And then we had to have the secondary conversation of, okay, what if something happens to me? Right. 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 Um, and I like your dynamic, honey, because she also has a significant other, even though she's not married to him. So there's also legal mumbo jumbo around all that as well so yeah. and that plays a huge role we see that a lot at work absolutely yeah. let's let's uh segue in, into the, the current moment so we can bring our, our audience up to speed so we 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 have your your professional background mm -hmm. um and yeah so now share, share your story about their personal you know we're, we're talking about uh preparing or jumping into the unknown and um, so just tell us your, your story about with, with your mom, what the situation is and, you know, recent, you know, what, what, you can, what you're willing to share, recent what happened so that our audience can get a feel of knowing now this is what you're dealing with and we can understand uh, what's actually happening. Sure. So basically, um, I've always had this great relationship with my mom. Um, we've always been, ever since I was a teenager, slightly codependent, where she leaned on me a little bit more than I would say most parents would lean on their kids at that age. Um, and my mom has a fiance, but they're not legally married and they won't get legally married at this point. Um, she lives separate from me, but she's fairly local. Um, me and him have had kind of a rocky relationship, but we're okay. It's, it's been kind of give and take. They've been together for seven years now. Um, but my mom has a great relationship with me, my husband, my kids. Um, so she's always been really involved in our life, but for the most part, I don't talk to her fiance unless it's face to face, um, which kind of leads to this interesting talking about, you know, preparing for the unknown. Um, there was no way I could have prepared for this situation. It just had to be dealt with. Um, but a few weeks ago, about a month ago at this point, um, I got a very panicked phone call from my mom's fiance at seven o'clock at night saying that he had never seen my mom act the way that she was acting and he didn't know what to do or who to call and he needed my help. Um, and I could just hear in his voice that things were very, very wrong. Even my husband who could, you know, barely hear the mumbling over the phone said, it sounds like you need to go over there. So I threw on my shoes and I hopped in the car and I drove the 15 minutes to my mom's house and I found my mom in an utter state of absolute disrepair. Um, I can tell you that when I looked at her and when I spoke to her, it was not my mom at all. Um, she was she was doing things that are incredibly out of character. She was using language that I would never expect my mom to use. Um, she was just babbling incoherent nonsense when you'd ask her a question. It was just, it was bad. It was very bad. Um, 
So at that point in time, you know, within the first 10 minutes, I realized that this was not going to be something I was going to be able to handle and that we, it was going to have to go to the professional level very quickly. Um, so I called her primary and I left a message for the on-call emergency physician. So he calls me back about 10 minutes later. And at this point, I'm just trying to make sure she doesn't hurt herself or someone else because she was acting fairly violent, which is mm. totally out of character. Um, and so he calls me back where I think our conversation lasted an entirety of five minutes. And he said, you know, is she a danger to herself or to others? And I said, well, considering she's permanently disabled, she just tried to climb a six foot brick wall and tried to throw a lamp at me. So yeah, this is not okay. And he goes, well, hang up on me and call 911. Um, so that was a really challenging decision to make, but it was definitely one that I had to make just on an emergency clinical basis. Um, so I called 911, filed the report. Um, of course, at this point, we're waiting for officers to show up or paramedics, whoever. And uh, I had to tell her fiance, this has now escalated to a point where when these professionals show up, I need you to just stay out of the way. I need you, you know, to let me talk to them. Let me explain what I know about her medical history. Um, let's just get it taken care of so that she's safe right here, right now. And then you and me will talk about it. Um, and he didn't understand that right away. So that created some additional stress in the situation. But uh, let, uh, let the audience know. So, um, so up to this point, your fiance, the fiance didn't know anything, but what is, um, share the condition for your, of your mom. What does she have and what do you know about it? And then. And then keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I found out a few years ago that she was clinically bipolar. Mm -hmm. That was about all I knew. I knew that she had suffered some from some manic depression. Um, I knew that way back when I was a small kid, she had had some mental health issues, but I never really got the full story from my family. Um, it was kind of just, I kind of just assumed, you know, that she had, she had spent some time in the hospital when I was a small kid because of mental issues. And then maybe three years ago, she had told me that she was diagnosed bipolar she felt like she was out of control. I told her, you need to call your doctor. And that was the end of it. So mm -hmm. up until this point, you know, that, that was really, I knew there was something, but I didn't know what it was fully, didn't know the spectrum of what it could be or what it could turn into. Um, and then this was the first time in my entire life that I saw her absolutely 100% completely out of control. Um, I had seen the depression get really bad where she was sleeping 24 seven and I was basically raising myself. Um, I had seen the mania get kind of bad when it came to her finances and things like that. Um, but I had never seen her just completely unable to make co cohesive decisions or coherent decisions. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically the only background I had right. on what her condition was. Right. So then this, then, you know, you get the phone call, you're walking into the situation, you've seen your mom and, uh, and you're letting the fiance know the, the um, paramedics are on their way. And now you need, and you know, this is like all really brand 
pretty new to you and pretty like just 100% out of the blue, 100% unexpected. And there was no way I could have been prepared for this. Yeah. Uh, right. Was, Either one of you, this is new nope. to both of you. Absolutely. I mean, this, you, you don't prepare for things like this. You don't right. think on Monday night, you're going to show up to just a complete chaotic situation. Nope, no. You, you got to step in and just start making military type decisions for yeah. and decisions that aren't about me, you know, and that have nothing to do with my health. Uh, but that's really what happened is you could tell that he hit his brick wall and didn't know what to do. And he was like, I need to call in reinforcements. And within the first 10 minutes of me being there, I went, there's no way I can do this. I need to call in reinforcements. Mm-hmm. And that's what ended up, you know, waiting for the professionals and, that was, that was when I pulled him aside and said, basically, you know, give them as much space as they need to do what they know how to do. Right. Um, so then they show up, it's officers first. So, you know, I explained the situation to the officers and I had my mom's physically disabled as well. Um, mm-hmm. So she has a chronic lower back problem. She has a chronic ankle problem. Um, so I had to explain to these officers Yes, she's a danger to herself. Yes, we need to get her restrained, but we also don't want to aggravate these injuries because she had a fresh six inch cut across her foot that had stitches in it at the same time. Mm. So, you know, they, I stayed out. Um, it was freezing. They were like, do you want to come in the house? I was like, I don't want to see any of this. This has already been traumatic enough. So they go in, she's sitting at the front door ready basically she knew what I was doing without me having to tell her Mm. um so they come in they address her she's not making any sense she's still being combative and fighting and um I had to watch them put her in handcuffs and basically you know sit on top of well not really I mean but sit next to her holding her down to the floor while they called an ambulance and had to watch her sit like that for 15 minutes or so while she's still screaming at the top of her lungs because, um, you know, because she's, she had completely lost her marbles at that point. So then the ambulance and the fire truck show up. I explain the whole situation to them again, her physical disabilities, what I know about her mental history, the officer addresses the captain or whoever he was. Um, They go in they had to put her in a full body carry bag um, to get her onto the gurney and then she had to be restrained with more restraints than i've seen anybody you know used on anybody so it was full ankle mid thigh stomach wrist chest um and so they wheel her out she's thrashing around she's still screaming profanities she's yelling Bible verses and talking about demons and I mean she kept yelling the word doppelganger which doesn't make any sense to anybody about anything and it was just it was a very very bad situation so then um you know the the captain decides he's going to talk to me um I gave him all my contact information and at this point I had to tell her fiance you have no legal right to her you're not being listed as a contact. You will get all of your information from me. Um, so they tell us, okay, she's going to go to the hospital. We'll drug screen her. We'll, we'll pull blood. We'll make sure it's nothing 
physical that could be causing this. And if it turns out that it is fully a mental issue from there, she'll be transferred. We can't tell you where, when, or how. Um, so she was carted off to San Antonio without a whole lot of information and just basically told to wait. So once she left, then I had to field all of the questions from her fiance about what would happen. Um, I told him minimum, just knowing the medical history I had, I said minimum six or seven hours to get her in, get blood drawn and get a talk screen back. So I said, I'm not even calling San Antonio until tomorrow morning because it was at this point, like 11 o'clock at night. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. So I was like, I'm going home. I'm going to bed. I'll, I'm going to try to sleep and then I'll wake up first thing in the morning and I'll track her down. Um, before I left though, and this was purely an instinctual move to protect her. I collected her wallet, her phone, her car keys, her social security card, her medical cards, her banking information, any bills that she had coming up or that needed to be paid. Um, knowing full well if this was the mental breakdown that I thought it was, that I was immediately going to have to step in and play administrator for mm, right. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So then, of course, I called the next morning. San Antonio said she'd been transferred, found out she'd been transferred to a mental hospital. Um, the next day, I had to get into her banking and her bank account. And luckily, technology is a good thing. And I was able to do it via her app because there's no way her bank would have let me in, um, no matter the situation, which was good because she had bills that were due that very next day that I had to step in and pay. Um, and then it took, took about 72 hours of me only being able to speak with the nurses and having the nurses tell me, yes, she's being combative and we emergency medicated or no, she's being fine and she's sleeping. And at this point, um, after all the dust settled, I knew where she was. I knew she was safe and I had taken over as much control as I could. Um, I had to call my older brother, who's a physician in San Francisco, mm. and I had to get him involved, knowing that, you know, he had every right to make decisions as much as I did. Um, hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because as siblings, to um, to be able to, well, speak as siblings or um, as... Um, as next to kin, yeah. Yeah, next to kin, yeah, next to kin. Interesting. Mm. So at this point... Um, she's in there and there's, is there already power of attorney or medical power of attorney items field that's just, you're just daughter right at right now? Correct. There was nothing. There mm. was um, the last time her will and trust and uh, power of attorney and all of that was filled out. I was 10 years old. So it all went to my uncle who wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And the only reason he put his name on it is because I was a minor. So I had no legal right to do anything really, um, which put me in a very sticky situation because that first day that she was in there, I had to contact her primary. And luckily she's been with her primary for five years. He's heard my name. He knows, you know, her whole family story. So I was able to pull a couple strings just because of my 
uh, working in the um, primary doctor's office, I kind of knew some of the lingo that I could get away with where they would do things for me without me having that legal right. So I was able to request medical records be sent to the facility. I was able to make sure or schedule the med tech to call their med tech to make sure things like her diabetic medication and her blood pressure medication were being administered so that we didn't have complications mm. there. Right. Uh, and so that I could prove to the mental facility that she did have chronic lower back problems and she did have chronic ankle issues. And um, that way I, you know, I'm questioning the care level that she's getting in there and trying to protect her from the outside without being able to hear from her at all what's going on. Right, right. Uh, and then, like I said, I, I kind of went in the back way on her banking app, which totally fraudulent, but that I, it was kind yep. of one of those, you have to do what you have to do because it, I needed access right then and there. Mm. And this may sound horrible, but uh, although she's engaged to this man, I don't fully trust him with her money. And I did not want him doing something while she could not advocate for herself that would financially put her livelihood at risk. Right. So I had to, it, it was an instinctual decision to take over everything. And that actually created more stress because then he was calling me every two hours to ask for updates. When I told him, I'm only going to call once in the morning and I'm going to call once in the evening and that's it. There's nothing else they're going to be able to tell me. So then I was fielding all of his emotional concerns. I was fielding his fear and his stress and his everything else on top of what was actually going on with her. Hmm. Wow. That's good stuff. Good to know. Wow. Right. Because you're not just dealing with your emotions. You're dealing with his as well, your families, everyone else. Because the kids still, you know, where's grandma? What's she doing? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I had to have a very interesting conversation with my seven-year-old where I basically had to explain that sometimes people get sick and it's not always physical. And it was right. like the most PG version of, <laughs> you know, Grammy's in the hospital and she's not thinking clearly. And that happens sometimes. And, you know, had to, I, I made sure through the whole process that I'd periodically stop and ask her, do you have any questions? And by the time we got through the technical part of stuff, the only question she ever asked me is, you know, when can we go swimming in Grammy's pool? Which to her was a very big deal. But right. It was my grandkids swim in my pool. I know all about that. Those are important days. Oh, exactly. She's like, it's hot outside. When can we go do this? And that right. was her biggest thing. And then, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it did, it made it very interesting because, you know, of course my, my husband's fielding my emotions. I'm fielding everyone else's. I'm having to contact multiple people in my family and explain the situation over and over and over. Um, luckily, I have a cousin right up the street that stepped up and helped with the kids when I would have to be gone or I just needed a break. But um, there is nothing like being on the phone with a social worker with a one and a half year old on your hip crying. Mm. right that social worker how only has that 10 minutes and he's mad because i'm on the phone again so it you know all the stress rolled downhill it really did yeah wow 
Yeah, and I know uh, Christy can relate to. Oh yeah, that. having a support system is so important because when things hit the fan, you really have. This is where we constantly say, Vaughn, have a plan from a you know from A to Z. There's always plan A to B, and you always got a plan for the unknown. It's she's so amazing that she just picked up right away. Okay, I'm going to need this, 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 and this. Yeah, which is so great to just know that because not a lot of people know that especially yeah. knowing that she's going to a hospital that's going to need all that information so kudos to you dear if it was not for my professional caregiving and time spent in a medical office i would have been downright lost so right. those, those four years of professional medical is really what you know guided those decisions mm -hmm. right and backpedaling and trying to figure out how to get all that after the fact of mom's here mom's now in a facility and how do you get access to her banking how do you you know there's so many people that still struggle with that oh yeah and then if you add in this quarantine virus they told me from the very first day that she was there that there was no visitation right. so if right a week, two weeks, three weeks, the only time I was ever going to talk to her was going to be on the phone. Right. And it took four days for her to be coherent enough where I could actually speak to her on the phone. Um, so yeah. that was a very, very stressful four days because my mom is my safety net and my support net. And mm. right you know, at, at that point in time, it was like, okay, my safety net's ripped out and I now get to be the safety net for everyone else. So I really heavily relied on um, one of my uncles that has gone through this process with my grandparents. I relied on my brother from the medical standpoint of things. So he really would calm me down about, you know, what, what was going on medically. Um, my uncle was the real guiding hand for what I can and cannot do. Being right. that no legal right to really do anything um and then of course my amazing husband really stepped in emotionally mm -hmm. so right. i had that support system in place but now that we've gone through it and things are a little more calmed down we have a little more consistency now we're building the plan for the next time this happens hoping it never happens again right so right. getting all the proper paperwork in order with the proper wording Mm -hmm. So what the conversation that we finally ended up happening, happening after she got home and we got all the meds situated and, you know, she's normal five out of 10 days. Um, what we ended up deciding was there, like I said, there's two ways to write your medical power of attorney. You can write it for being incapacitated and then you can write it um, active and present regardless of your mental status, mental or physical. Right. Um, so we decided that because of my medical background, I'm better at insurance, I'm better at meds, I'm better at doctors. That stuff is very confusing and challenging for her, even if it's her own medical. Um, so we decided that we're going to have it written so that it's in place, in action, in power as of now. Mm -hmm. um, so once I have that drafted, which is, it's also quite an interesting thing because I'm having to figure out how to get it drafted and notarized via quarantine and Corona. Oh, right. So that, that is, I mean, uncharted territory that nobody I know has dealt with that I'm just trying to navigate on my own with right. lots of back and forth with the lawyer. 
Um, but so once I get that paperwork in place, then it'll be submitting it to all of the doctor's offices and making sure that they all fully understand. I'll have to submit it to her insurance company. Uh, I'll have to all the normal places. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're also going to put in the financial power of attorney that's active now so that I can make financial decisions. But to go one step further than that, we are actually, and this is at the advice of my uncle, um, as soon as quarantine's over, me and my mom are going to go to the bank together and she is going to sign that I'm to be put on all of her accounts because even though I hold active power or financial power of attorney, her bank can still bar me from doing things if she's well. Right. By putting me on all of her accounting, because she's completely comfortable with that, we've discussed it in depth, they no longer can bar me from doing anything for her. Um, the only thing that I am not putting my name on is any credit cards or loans that she has because I'm not going to have her credit affect mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But other than that, all of her savings, all of her checkings, it's all going to you know, include my name as a secondary. My brother is going secondary after me. That way, if something happens to me, he can pick up right where I left off. Um, And then we're also having to rewrite her will and trust. And we're going even one step further than that. And she's actually going to sign over the titles of her cars to me that way, because they're fully paid off that way. um, If something was to happen, her fiance cannot do anything to those vehicles that would in some negative way affect her or her financial future without me being able to legally pursue him. Mm -hmm. So Uh as much as I want to think that that would never happen and he would never do that, we'll never deal with a situation like this. Right. The last thing I want to find out is he crashed one of her cars while she was in a mental hospital going through a full breakdown. Right. So so we are putting together this very, extreme package where at any given point in time alive and well or gone or in a hospital whatever it is i can step in and completely act on her behalf which is amazing and you know for a lot of people that are our listeners you are in your 20s so not a lot of people your age have to deal with a parent in their 20s so i commend you on that that is just incredible and amazing because yes i'm I'm pushed in the fifties. And so I have yet, I just get to call mm-hmm. my mom and say, hi, I love you. How you doing? You know, so you've really got your plate full, honey. And I really, rec- I just commend you for it. Thank yeah. you. Well, I mean, a month ago I could call her and say, Hey, what's going on? You yeah. know, Hey yeah. mom, can I borrow 20 bucks or, you know, play the normal twenties role. But yeah, right. I mean, I'm only 27. I've got, I've got a baby in diapers still. And now I have this plan of action set in place where not only am I, you know, caregiving for my own children and nurturing my own children, but once a week I'm having to spend four or five hours at my mom's house nurturing her. And I can tell you one of the hardest things I went through in this past month was grieving the loss of balance in the relationship and the shift of power, because we all know that it's the circle of life. Your parents take care of you. One day you'll take care of them, but nobody expects to be 27 
caring for their children, actively in a marriage, you know, working on a career, and then bam, adjust your entire life because now right. you're going to actively care give within birth. a matter of moments. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're talking yeah. seven o'clock at night to eleven o'clock at night. That balance of power was gone. Right. Right. It was it was truly devastating for yeah. about a week and a half. Hmm. Yeah. In the midst of a COVID global. Mm-hmm. <laughs> global chaos global chaos. pandemic my mom decided to have her mental breakdown yeah in addition you know and and interestingly and that's why we always say that like caregiving becoming the calling you answer to and it's happening for us not to us but like we don't you don't prepare for all of this that comes about and all of this that you have to quickly learn in a very or experience or go through in a very short amount of time and um but this is like super important um things like what you went through in you know a matter of a couple of days or 24 hours and um but still even those of us that uh or others that become caregivers they still have to go through a portion of that and it may not be the urgency or sometimes it is or sometimes it's maybe even quicker or you know or more. yeah right now right now everything right right like super emergency like life-threatening life and they may not even have the time um even if yeah. it is a few hours to um to to address or have that in order so it's really uh, this is really um helpful and just be aware even even some things like even it's been two years for my mom but there's still ongoing paperwork that you you know whether you're renewing your um, um in my mom's case the the uh, um uh the updates, california the, yeah IFS, the annual updates mm-hmm. annual yeah reviews the which quarterlies mm-hmm. yeah the quarterlies sending in um um you never have to renew your power of attorney and stuff again but you got to keep that available because whatever doctor visits may happen or whatever complications may come up uh, or that are going to come up in the future because the it's it's now it's for now until they pass basically. yeah yeah so it's it's, some because even after they pass you have a whole set of cleanup that you have to do at that point yes right burials and you know everything else that comes uh, along with that so it's not even it's not even till they pass it's well right. after they pass until everything is finally settled and done with right right one of the and it's just something to have on hand because even like you were saying at your age honey you're 27 and you've got your paperwork in order in the event something happens to you a lot of people in their 20s don't think something's going to happen to me mm-hmm. so it's just incredibly responsible and mm-hmm. um, necessary especially when you have family and other thing caregivers involved i know myself included i have that same paperwork if something were to happen to me things get handed down to my my children in mm-hmm. a certain fashion and you know same thing i'm always asking them please update your stuff for me mom yeah. what do you want for your birthday or mother's day i want your stuff updated because again they're getting mm-hmm. married they're buying houses their life is changing and evolving as well right so, yeah about a year ago i had that conversation well me and my husband had a really long-winded Uh, probably multiple conversations where we, you know, it was like 
playing pros and cons of everybody that we wanted to take our kids. And he had a, he had one opinion. I had another, he had this person. I said, no, he, I said this person, he said, no, finally, we agreed on my brother, um, my brother and his wife. And then it turned into, well, at the time they weren't married. Um, but then it turned into having to call him and make sure he was comfortable and they were engaged. Right. So then he had to ask her, are Hmm. you comfortable? You know, and then they finally got back and said, yes, God forbid anything happened to you guys, then we'll go ahead and we'll take custody. Um, Hmm. And so then we had to draft up all the right paperwork to have each other as the beneficiary beneficiary. And then my brother and yeah, I mean, that was something that, you know, I put in place about a year ago just to make, and it's, and ours is nothing fancy. It's a really simple, like legal zoom will, but it's yeah. enough, it's enough to where if something happened to us, you know, my brother could come forward and say, no, I have legal right to the children. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so it's, it's not like it has to be some $2,000 will in trust. I mean, right. I don't own anything. I have a car that's got 200,000 miles on it and my kids, uh, we don't own anything. So mm. we didn't need something crazy, fancy or expensive. Right. Uh, yeah. And a lot of times you can get stuff off the internet to print out. I know I, di- I did that before. And I mean, same with Staples. They have their section where you can just go and pick up a general it's like turbo tax, but it's yeah. to make, you know, but even something that simple protects those people. Whereas now it's, you know, with my mom's, it is this huge, big will and trust and blah, blah, blah. And what was really scary is, uh, even after she got out of the hospital, um, during that mania, she had trashed a lot of her house, just throwing things all over the place. And one of the biggest things we couldn't find was her trust. And it mm. took me three days of searching that house to find that trust. And when I finally did, um, because it was, it's the difference between about $1,500 to have it rewritten or have it drafted. So yeah, that that was a very expensive thing to lose. But um, I mean, we ended up finding it and now we're trying to figure out how to put it all together. Be being that we're all stuck in a quarantine, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, be that, like I said earlier, I mean, I, it seems that I'm going to this crazy extreme of just taking this assertive role with my mom where I'm saying, look, you put me in the hardest position I've ever been through in my entire life, not purposefully, and it wasn't your fault, but this is what happened. And so I'm going to protect myself a hundredfold so that if this ever happens again, the only thing I have to worry about is the level of care you're getting at the facility. I don't have to worry about anything else from here on out. I'm going to be involved in everything. I'm going to have all the right paperwork. I'm going to have all the right legal right. That way, if this ever happens again, which come to find out now, this is the third time it's happened in her life. So the likelihood of it happening again is there. Um, So if and when, and hopefully not, but if and when, I don't have to worry about all the other crap. It's just, is she okay? Right. Yeah. It's, you know, the the preparation and the the paperwork. And I think there's, um, and it's it's so awesome that, yes, you know, you had just the mindset or the experience or the resources and the connection to 
to make sure that gets this done for the majority of people in um, Christy alluded to like, you know, not only just young, but I think just in general, generationally, because yeah. there's a like, well, because everything is so what am I enjoying? <clears throat> What's my enjoyment now? What's for me? You don't, in general, you don't think about one, your parents ever being anything than what you've grown up them up to be or um you know that i can always go to them or i can always call on them and ask and you never you don't think about switching roles at least not in depth at all um, right you hear about it you know get life insurance get things prepared but you don't um you don't you don't plan for that um you don't we don't necessarily in general like to think about that that's going to happen we don't want to really think about the worst or right or or um and this isn't even death this is this is <laughs> this is a a, a much more long-term thing uh death in, in some cases is almost easier because it's you know it's, it's done you grieve you i mean you have to take care of stuff and it'll be long but here it's preparing to be uh, long term. So long term, and things can be amended along the way because as life changes, then you can change mm -hmm. it as you need to. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and as she grows in age, things can become way right. more complicated with all of her pre-existing conditions that have right. absolutely nothing to do with her mental health. You know, exactly. Like I said, she she does have high blood pressure and she's diabetic and she has all of these physical disabilities that I've grown up with. And, you know, we, she's, she's already been compromised in, in certain fashion. Right. And so having to step up and make these preparations now is just going to kind of umbrella a lot of different yeah. conditions. Yeah, good. But well, it brings you some peace of mind along the way. It'll create. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. at this point, like I said, I mean, if anything happens from here on out, I've already dealt with all of the legal mumbo jumbo and now I can just care for her. Right. Um, but even with caring for her, like I said, it, it's once a week putting pills in a med tray and making sure that she's going to outpatient and yeah. fielding the panicking calls whenever she's not feeling well and, you know, paying all of her bills for her and as funny as it sounds, part of the bipolar mania is overspending her money. So I have to like suspend her Amazon account every once in a while because mm. she'll get a little crazy on Amazon. And, mm. you know, so it's, it's a lot of different factors that come along with it that are just now the, the day to day. How do we maintain it? Right. Right. And you're constantly learning too. Um, as an in situation, like everything we're saying, you know, you plan A, B, C, D, and you know, through Z because uh, because they're still alive and life changes and happens every day. And then there's other things that's, you know, comes into play that, okay, prepare for the unprepared. It's like, okay, what's going to happen today? All right, this is happening. So let's roll with it with what we know. And then also, what are we going to learn today? Um, right. All right, we're going to put this in the books because this is this is a day like no other. And tomorrow is not going to be the same um the routine is no routine <laughs> or something you know right or unexpected it's like wow <laughs> and the, the biggest thing i've had to learn 
through this whole thing, I mean, with navigating everything else, I mean, I think the biggest personal growth that I've gone through is, is learning that, that boundary with how, how to separate, especially because my situation so unique being that mm-hmm. I have small kids in a family and, you know, if, if Riker needs something, my one-year-old, his, whatever he needs takes precedent over anything unless it's life or death. And even if it's life or death for her, it doesn't mean I can always take care of it. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've had to really go through this growing and learning journey over the past month of how to establish those boundaries as a caregiver, because I do caregive from a distance. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she's not in my home. She's not right here. It's not, you know, there's a lot of things that I have to field over the phone that can take way too much of my time and that I don't always have time for. Um, I know, you know, that first two weeks, there were no boundaries. My phone rang. It was my mom. It was a caseworker. It was a doctor. I took that call. It didn't matter what was going on. Lily had to watch Riker, make sure he, you know, just didn't hurt himself for whatever length of the conversation I had to take. Um, I ended up getting my cousin involved to help with the kids. Um, and then that second week of everything happening, I had to start setting up boundaries with her fiance where it was like, okay, if this is not life or death and I, I tell you I'm busy, please don't take it disrespectfully. I have a life, you know, I still have to live my own life. Um, right. Even more recently than that, I've had to create those boundaries with my mom where she'll call me and she's panicking because of uh, who knows what, I mean, you could pretty much name anything at this point. She's panicked over it. And I I've created this system with her where I ask her mom, is it life or death or dire in 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, or one week? At what point does it become life or death? And she'll take a moment and she'll go, well, I need it done, in, you know, in the next couple of days. And I'll go, okay, I don't have the capacity to deal with it right now. I'm going to call you back. And there are times where I don't call her back for 24 hours because I'm not in a position to give her the attention that that subject matter deems. And I, I've noticed something about myself that if I'm if my head's not in it, my heart's not in it, I'm going to do a real shoddy job. And it's right. not going to be quality work that I'm used to. It's not going to be what she needs. It's going to get real, you know, it's going to be a band-aid instead of a fix. And right. so, um, or if I'm just emotionally overwhelmed for the day, I mean, let's, let's be totally real. I have a toddler. If he decides he's going to make my life horrible for one day because I gave him the blue sippy cup instead of the red one (laughs) and I've been listening to him cry for three hours and my mom calls me because you know her med refill isn't going to be done for another day and she's panicking but I've been listening to a toddler scream (laughs) I just don't have the emotional capacity to help anybody and at that point I create a boundary against everybody and I make sure that I'm okay before I take care of the kids. I make sure they're okay before I take care of my husband. I make sure he's okay before I take care of my mom because I can't, I can't help every, anybody if I'm emotionally exhausted and if I don't take that time for myself. Um, 
that's been a huge learning curve over the past month. I mean, Vaughn, you definitely know I took two weeks where I barely did anything work-wise because mm -hmm. there was just, there was nothing left in the cup for you. <laughs> you know, it was yeah, like, right. everybody yeah. was getting small amounts. My mom was getting three quarters of the whole cup. And so there was nothing left over for work at all. But then that balance of power has slowly but surely changed and manipulated. It comes back. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's why we say it's so vitally important to our caregivers that you keep your cup full as much as you possibly can on self-care and self-loving because yes, we want to give from our saucer, not for what's in our cup because what's in our cup is for us and what's overflowing onto our saucer is for the, everybody else. Yeah. So you did a great job in balancing act, honey. I'm so proud of you. Oh, yeah. well, thank you very much. It was, it was a long road, but I can tell you things feel, things feel pretty normal now. Good. Yeah. Good. That's good. And, and we'll definitely, uh, well, <clears throat> definitely um, probably have another follow-up in the future um, session here and, and hear more, but really like what you're triggering kind of uh, somewhat wrapping up here, but triggering about having um, boundaries. And that's so good. Um, and to be okay with putting those boundaries. And sometimes we can, there be necessary boundaries and we may feel like, ah, oh, but I'm, you know, I'm telling them no, and they have a legitimate need um, um, of my, I, and I can help with the situation, but hey, there's priorities and there's other there's other things that got yeah. I gotta be able to put away and they and they shift and shuffle like you said it was three your mom needed those three fourths cups of you that time and right. which probably you know would have went to your son or your family and some but they needed that uh, we we need to and just just encouragement to our audience is like it's okay to um, set your boundaries I remember the first like it was the first month or so um, my, when my brother came down with my, my mom was first in the hospital, like everything stopped, like everything else was on hold. Yeah. Like we are here every day, um, even losing sleep. Um, you know, he came down from San Luis Obispo and was like there. And it was interesting because we came up with a, a term. It was like, you know, what really, what matters matters um, because we were thinking of all the stuff that we you know, whether job, um, you know, whether regular, I would say regular interactions with our, our family, um, um, what, what things that we were emails or text or phone calls of regular work or what that it didn't matter for a, a solid two weeks or so. Um, any kind of regular phone, you know, so it was like, that doesn't matter right now. It's like, is mom okay? What's up with mom? And what's going to happen and what's next what do we need to do and and it's like you know what and even when you take that time off and you realize uh, similar to like what we're going through with the COVID things there's a lot of stuff that people are learning like things that we really thought was important or absolutely necessary for life itself it, it doesn't matter and that's not really what's important <laughs> having the face-to-face -face right. of, of, of things that we've we've positioned to be as an important but it it's really not the necessity. It's not the core thing. So this is really, this is like another fine tuning moment for that. 
I think one of the most important things about boundaries or learning to set up those boundaries and being okay with putting them in place um, was having that really open and honest conversation with the person that you're caregiving for. Mm. Um, So I know I sat down with my mom and her fiance when things calmed down and I explained to them, you know, I want to be here for you guys. I want to help you. I'm available, but these are my priorities. This is what's going on with me personally. If I tell you I can't do it, don't take offense to it. Don't think that I'm, you know, trying not to help you. If it's a true state of emergency, I will put you first. But if it's something petty or something small or I have time, I'm going to push it off depending on where you fall in my priority list. Um, But I've also made a point to be very open and honest with them about what is ahead of them when I do have to push them down so that they have very realistic expectations of when I'm going to be able to assist them. Mm. So, Like the biggest one for her fiance was he needed help filing unemployment because of this whole COVID thing. And he didn't know how to do it on the computer. Um, And I've been very honest about, Hey, you know, I've got the kids. I have projects for Vaughn. I have this, that, or whatever you're down here. I will get to you when I get to you. Um, So I think just being really open and honest and keeping that solid line of communication between caregiver and client or patient or family member, keeping that open line of communication and keeping it very easy to understand really makes boundaries a lot easier because Mm -hmm. that first day or two Mm -hmm. that I had to put them in, I did feel a little bad, you know, because I felt like I kind of just left them hanging. Um, And that's what sparked me having that conversation. And now when I tell them, you know, you're three or four on the list, they don't take any offense to it at all they know that I'm prioritizing with good intentions. Sure. So right. It makes, hmm. it makes it so nobody's getting their feelings hurt and I don't overwhelm myself. Yeah. And they're just glad they're on the list. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause there's only so many slots on the list. I've had many a days where I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not even on today's list. <laughs> How about tomorrow? Back next week. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Wow. Exactly. Oh, I definitely, when it came to the unemployment and him wanting an update, I'd be like, call me in three days. Like I can't even, I can't even think about doing something like that. Call me in three days. Right. If he gets a spot on the list, he's super grateful. Even if that's a 10 minute slot, you know? Yeah. That's really, really major. Um, And again, going back to like what you said, Christy, is like to keep your cup full. Yeah. You have to put the boundaries on those things with drain and take it up. Um, and it's like, there's things, several things that not that you wouldn't want to help because you can help and we're helpers. Um, that's the right. nature of us as caregivers. We want where we help. That's you jump in and uh, I want to make the situation the best that it can. But the the other side for us as caregivers and those helpers and that whole instinct and that whole um, the heart of us is we have to learn to be able to put uh, very you know, healthy boundaries so that because there's only we're only limited resource wise too. even though we right. our desire our desire is abundant but our <laughs> the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak we don't we only have so much that we can give you know 
And right. we have to recognize that, that we're finite and uh, so that we can best help when we are helping so that our saucer can be as full as possible because that's going to be the best help. You know, we keep giving, giving from our half empty or barely or fully empty cup, then there's nothing else for us. And then now we can't be of no use. No use. Right. So. Exactly. Absolutely. Great stuff. Well, wow. Christy, anything else then? Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things I just want to throw in as an extra nugget is, you know, one of the things that she was saying, you, you, we get to prioritize when we are in these core moments and this is hap this happened to me a lot, having my son and his illness. Um, you know, when you're, when you get to step into urgency, this has to get done right now, right now. Um, and you do have to prioritize the people. We don't always, as ourselves, as a caregiver, we don't give ourselves enough grace because mm. people are calling us. They have no idea what we're dealing with mm. and they will get frustrated with us. They will feel pushed aside. They will, all those things, right? We don't get to beat ourselves up over that. And that's something that I, mm. that I did used to do. I used to feel like, oh my gosh, I just told like six people, sorry. And I would have, I would, I would have to go into isolation because I would, like she was saying, three fourths of your cup goes to that person that you're caring for at that direct moment. And several times I did that with my son. I had other children. I, you know, like she's saying, I have a spouse. I have, I have other priorities. Um, so giving ourselves that grace, because when you're in the thick of it, nobody else is going to get your attention hardly much of it and that is okay because that is what that moment is designed for is for that exact moment and you are going to do your very best with what tools you have so yes yeah, staying prepared for the next wave as i call it because the waves come like the ocean right um, then you're able to ride those waves and life does get easier as we do through the caregiving but i run into a lot of caregivers and we don't always give ourselves the grace when we're in the thick of the moment so mm -hmm. That would be my oh. golden nugget for today that I wanted to add because yes, my. I did not used to do that. <laughs> and like you said in an earlier podcast, an earlier episode that actually really helped me out through this is it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. That's and right. Sometimes you tell the other people in your life, I'm not okay and I can't help you. <laughs> right. And I love you. And oh, right. I'll call yeah. you week or a month or whenever I talk to you yeah. next. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's good stuff. But I had to, you know, interestingly learn um, a lot of that giving grace to myself about, uh, you know, being, because <clears throat> here's another, you can, you can get caught up in, because we're helpers, we can get caught up in the care and um, be giving three-fourths of the cup um a lot and then the fam your family like you know yeah. being transparent like my you know, my wife and my son um maybe getting that one fourth cup for a long time and then the ramifications of that is right. that you know there there could be resentment there can be distance there can be all kind of you know other things that when yes at there's certain moments when there's going to need that three-fourths time care, but you have to um, be very sensitive and uh, get the support to where that can, you know, reduce 
via boundaries, via other resources, right. other caretaker, whatever's needed, so that again you can give that cut back. You know, um, this this past week or so, um, where I've, you know, like I'm in my office right now to, and I have caregivers. Mom doesn't really necessarily need much. She's it's really like adult kind of babysitting, <laughs> um, uh, and not to belittle, but it's, she's she's not like on respirators or needs like she just can't be by herself mom's very calm peaceful so she just if in case she falls or in case she tries to cook something for some reason she just can't be alone but i have had to learn to um be be okay with hiring and and even giving the extra money to hire to have someone else um take care of her watcher over time so that i can be focused um, to to do like this, like interviews or continue right. to do my business, continue to do meetings and stuff. It would be uh, simple to be able to say, well, you know, let me not have you scheduled caregiving. Let me save, you know, money, so to speak, and not have caregiving and me watch, but then that's going to uh, separate my time and attention to, again, my family or something like that, because now she's going to be the priority and I won't be able to have time to like, okay, well, we're going to hang out and well not go to the movies now but <laughs> but um, yeah. we're going to hang out and you know whether it's going to be on a phone call or whether i have the attention to give more of that percentage um to caregive and it's important so that we can set boundaries i set boundaries with myself that like i'm going to dedicate this amount of time to care for mom but at the same time i'm going to release so that i can make sure that i'm um taking time with my my wife my son um other things right. that i want to you know commit my time to business and um services or whatever it is um because you we can get caught up those not having those boundaries gets us to where we're not serving full, right. full cup or full saucer to others as well the biggest one i had to learn was i had to i learned pretty quickly so for the first four or five days my husband was super supportive just listening to me babble and babble and babble about what was going on and after that i i could see it in his face the minute i would start talking about it that he would kind of mentally check out and he would get really frustrated and it was because he felt like his needs and his emotions and his you know difficulties during the day were being completely ignored because i was trumping them with mine and so I learned pretty quickly that I had to vent and resource my emotions to other people. Mm -hmm. And that when he came home and we had that time together where the kids went to bed and it was just me and him, that I had to make a primary focus of mine to get him to talk about himself. That way he felt validated, even though I was going through something that was so difficult because it became very apparent that him being my biggest emotional support I wasn't nurturing the marriage mm. and then therefore I didn't have that nurturing me back. And so right. that was one of the ones that I came up with, you know, that kind of dawned on me within the first five or six days of this entire calamity mm -hmm. was okay. There's nothing else I can do. I'll, you know, I'll call my uncle, I'll call my brother, I'll call my cousin. I'll, I'll talk to somebody outside of my household about what's going on. But when he comes home, I want to hear about, you know, what happened at work. I want to hear about who he spoke to or how his family is doing and, mm. and really focus on him. And it actually became almost like a really enlightening ritual because while I focused on him, 
I didn't think about what was going on. Mm. So it was this really peaceful break of, and he's a contractor. So he'd be telling me about something super frustrating on the job site. And it would make me laugh because I thought it was hilarious that, you know, something didn't go right for him and that he, you know, something was more challenging. And, but it became this ritual of making sure that I was nurturing my marriage. And I even, um, I, I set up with my cousin where she would take one or the other with my kids for a couple hours. And then I would do whatever they wanted to do. And I realized really quickly while I was doing that, I wasn't thinking about what was going on stressful wise. Right. So it protected me and protected them at the same time. Yeah. And it filled everybody's cup. Yeah. What great tools. Good stuff. <laughs> this is good. Good, good stuff. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, boundaries. We need I think we said we were gonna we need to do a session on that, Christy, about Yeah, we can do one on boundaries. An Absolutely. Episode, at least a, a couple of those. Uh that's so important and it's really rich. So uh Caitlin, this is so um so great. What would be what would be, you know, um some last encouraging words to our audience and listeners? You know, one big takeaway. You said several, but what would be a final <laughs> thing that you would you would leave for our listeners, you know? One one wrap wrap it all up quote, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think the one thing I hung on to was this too shall pass. Mm. And yeah. nothing, nothing about life is permanent. No situation is permanent. No stress is permanent. You know, God is only going to give you as much as you can handle. I joked all the way through this whole thing um, that I think God had confused me with someone else. <laughs> and I was constantly reminded by the people around me that I was in the perfect position to deal with it. Um, and it's true. I had the right infrastructure. I had the right setting. I you had all far, the right tools. Mm -hmm. Exactly. As far as I look at it now, God spent three years prepping me for my mom's mental breakdown. And, you know, hindsight's 2020 and this too shall pass and you'll learn from it. And we just need to have a lot of grace and patience and love and pride for what we do as caregivers, because yes, not you know, I think, I think no matter the downfall or the mistake or whatever, we have to have pride in what we do because it's true. Not everyone can do this. Not everyone's made for it. There's a reason it's given to very certain people. Hmm. Right. That's powerful. Loved it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. We do have to have a, um, wow. Yeah. You stir up again. Yeah. We do have to have a, a, a good, a pride for us and uh, um, like in Chrissy you always say that in the word self-honoring mm -hmm. because to reflect to be like you know what it's not a boast but it's like wow I'm thankful and grateful that I have the tools I've been given the prep I've been I've been created conditioned for this very moment uh, I've been created designed and everything that I went through whether I knew it or not, was preparing for this time, this purpose, um, right. for this message, for these relationships, um, to, you know, just even in our conversation here, it, this is, you know, so many are going to hear this and all of, all three of our interactions, all three of our life, everything intertwines to come to like this moment uh, to be able to share and then encourage um, the whole community 
global community of this caregiving. Yeah, because we're kind of going through some chaos right now. And I can honestly say one of the things I, I love how you said the self honoring how you brought that up. But also too, Caitlin said I took some time to cry. Self honoring mm -hmm. can just be locking yourself in a closet, a room, a car. I sent so many times I just sat in my car and cried mm -hmm. because we need that release. And we need yeah. that to honor ourselves and just let things go instead mm -hmm. of trying to just keep up with all the stress and anxiety from the next thing to the next. Cause like you say, we're, we're doing a lot of juggling. So sometimes that just self honoring doesn't mean go get that pedicure. It means no, sit in that car for 30 minutes mm. and ball your eyes out, mm. get out everything that you just endured the last few days. That's yeah. That's I so was jogging till I was out of breath. And yeah. I, was like, I would get to that like physical exhausted point. And that would trigger the tears because I'm not one to cry. And that actually yeah. became a really big challenge for me because I don't yeah. emotionally release like that. So yeah. My, my, my pillars will ask me, have you grieved yet? Yeah. When are you going to set aside the time to go cry? And I'm like, Oh, you're right. I haven't done that yet. And mm -hmm. that has made such mm -hmm. a huge difference for me. Yeah. yeah. That's really good to um, listeners. Yeah. Like for us to release be able to and even as you know I, I know I'm the dude here and it's like but uh it's still you know no there's times this and it take it takes a lot but it's like man and the other guys that I talked to we had a uh, Scott Sargent on um last week and man when we when we first talked about hey it's our moms and what we go through and stuff like that and as guys we like to you know we're the ones that we have a lot on our shoulders we're designed to carry a lot on our shoulders and but still, there's some breaking points where it's like, I can't fix it. Um, yeah, it's not going to be fixed quick. Um, and I can't do it. And it's beyond my strength or whatever. And it's not a weakness. Um, but it's like, but I need to release as well. You know, and there's right, we are still emotional beings, we are not as emotional as the females are, but that it doesn't mean that we're not emotional. And, um, and, and it's okay to have that moment even if it's with another brother it's with your wife or you know someone that you you know you can cry on a shoulder on or whatever but or even by yourself yeah, yeah. And, and that wraps back to that and it's it's especially important for every manly man out there that's stepping into this position is it's okay to not be okay like it, yeah. it really is okay to just accept that the whole situation sucks <laughs> yeah nothing you can do about it and it doesn't matter you know how powerful you are or how capable or you know it's okay to let yourself not be okay because if we put on these false faces 24 7 eventually right. you'll be the one that cracks and you'll be the one that needs caregiving and yep. now you all you did was transfer that burden to someone else right absolutely good stuff good stuff Oh, I love our podcast. This is great. I do too. Yay. I totally love this podcast. <laughs> I'm so excited to be on the back end doing all the technical. Yes. So yes. Perfect, perfect time to give the shout outs because, you know, yes. is, um, uh, this is really, you know, um, and for listeners, you know, um, and this would probably be in another broadcast or something, but really the, the the creation of this and i think uh, christy and i kind of talked about it in the very first episode we just like hey we're it was on my birthday and was one of the things i was like you know what let's just do it this is going to be the birthday gift 
to myself to yep. the world and you know we say Christy let's um, um let this out and it's like okay we don't know exactly how we just know that we need to <laughs> right and we need to share and it's like um uh, being able to um just release and and to share these stories like this is it's just grown so so with Caitlin on board and you know uh, she was literally on board to do the Von Foy jazz and the music and the bookings, which she just excelled at, took it over and conquered it. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then now, you know, then, then this COVID happened and then with her mom, you know, and this, this whole kind of break and pull away and it just kind of built to, um, uh, I said the other day, I said, you know, Caitlin really, um, you know, nothing is going to be the world is not going to be the same we're never going back to whatever the norm was that's just not happening uh, for several reasons and and even in the pause or the actually or kind of the stop of um yeah i'll always play the saxophone i'll always do concerts somewhere and somehow i'll always change atmospheres but that's not like the focus now it's like this this the caregiver's care jar um, and Christy texted a picture the other day of like, I can't wait till, you know, <laughs> till I'm full time doing this. Yeah. Full time everything. Um, uh, and I, I really just believe, um, and for the listeners there, you know, we believe that this is just the heart and soul of everything. It's our purpose. Our calling is to really, to be the eyes, uh, I'm sorry, the ears and the voice for caregivers and the resource center for you. Um, with these stories and with solutions and support and help um, for us. And this is where we're going all in with this. And uh, so I told Caitlin, yeah. I said, no, care, this, this caregiver's care jar, this, this is it now. This is our main focus. Uh, and, I've been laughing for probably the last week or so ever since I really invested into, I would say, researching, you know, what you guys were doing um, and how I was going to help that my mom's mental breakdown was perfectly timed because it fueled yep. a passion for the project um, mm. that I would not have had a month ago. I, I would have, I would have been able to understand for the most part what was going on, you know, with my professional blah blah. You know, I, I'd be able to kind of get it, but it, I would never have had the the professional passion to really get this message out, except for, I mean, so recently and so fresh going through something so life-changing like every single person who steps into that those caregiving shoes for a family member they all have that critical pivotal moment where all of a sudden it's not about you you know right. and that happened for me just 30 days ago and man am i officially grateful for my mother's breakdown because it it's gonna help me in the long run be able to help you guys spread that message of care and compassion and support and understanding and the resources and right makes me really excited to be that underground support that people you know uh, up and wouldn't normally know about or see or hear except for me being able to share my story so i really appreciate the opportunity to share my story and hopefully it helps out with people who maybe sitting in my shoes that are have young families and have these additional issues that they've been forced to deal with that right we don't expect like we said you it's preparing for you know the unpreparable <laughs> yeah right 
That's it. Well, this is this is good. Well, uh, I know we can go on and on. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we can. can. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can make a part two. Um, but thank you so much, Caitlin, um, and thank you for sharing, and thank you for um, kudos to you for all that you had uh, in the preparation and in the going through and just uh, being able to share the story and the help so much um, for us going on and, and for uh, the positioning and the mindset and stuff to help for all these others that are going to be on the show, hear the show and the expansion of the community. Um, for our audience, please, um, like I said, chime in um, if there's any questions that you have uh, for Kate or any of us, um, uh, type it in in the, in the comments below. Uh, we'd love to get back with you. We're going to be um, fielding any and all questions that we can. Um, also, check us out on our website, thecaregiverscarejar.com, uh, where you can see all of the past episodes. Um, and this one, um, we normally get it up within a week. Um, so uh, enjoy. Uh, and come follow us, please spread the word. If there's caregivers that you know or people in the industry, or we're always open for a suggestion for interviews. If you have, if people have a story about caregiving, they can be on the podcast. It's like, there's very little, um, <laughs> um, yeah. if you're a caregiver at any capacity or in the field, it's going to help someone else because every story is different, it's dynamic. So we want to hear from you. We want you on the show. Um, even if we have to book you six months out <laughs> to fill in the slots, we will do so um, because it's these stories that connect us. It's these stories that can uh, encourage us. Um, it's these stories that um, help us to strengthen one another um, and resource one another for stuff. So come on, uh, sign along. You can email us at, at email us at caregiverscarejar at gmail.com. Uh, find us on our Facebook group. Um, uh, same thing, facebook.com slash caregiverscarejar. Everything is in the notes. Uh, we'll have a resource page on our website for um, whether there's, uh, we have books from authors, um, you know, from all kinds of things. We have different financial people. Um, so all of the interviews and stuff that we have on the show, um, go to our resource center on the website and you can get help from there. And if you have suggestions of resources or people, let us know because we want to be that main hub. Um, I think that's our goal to uh, be that dominant resource hub. We want to be at the household name. Yes. If someone becomes a caregiver at whether it's the facilities, whether it's on the back of a pamphlet, whatever. It's like, oh, you need to go to Caregiver's Care Jar because they have some answers that can help make it easy, quick, and something that people can listen to and be encouraged by. All right, that is the heart of us. Anything else that I'm forgetting, Christy, Miss Christy? No, darling. <laughs> all right. We're, we're all amazing. Yep, we're all in this together. We're in this together to heal. And um, um, it, this happens for us and not to us, as we have definitely heard. Caitlin, once again, thank you for everything and thank you uh, for being on the show this is way cool yes i loved it of course thanks for the invite totally had a good time awesome wonderful all righty well until next time everybody there's uh love and hope and um we will see you on the next time take care awesome. bye bye, bye.